My guest today is Daniel Fagella. Daniel is a person that is fully invested in the world of artificial intelligence. In this episode, we will understand the link between artificial intelligence and B2B consulting. We will also understand how AI can be used in organizations such as inter intergovernmental organizations, but also private companies. So we will go from going into the basics about artificial intelligence to its more complex aspects related to uh, B2B consulting and related to how it can provide return on investment for companies. So this is a fascinating episode and uh, stay tuned until the end because if you as a consultant, you as a, as a listener are interested into uh, knowing more about artificial intelligence and consulting, there is a webinar that Mr. Fagella will suggest for you to uh, listen to. So without further ado, let's start the interview with Daniel Fagella. Hello and uh, welcome to uh, Dan Flagella to the Consulting Lifestyle Podcast. So Dan, how are you? I'm doing well. Glad to be here with you, brother. Yeah, thanks, uh, Dan. I'm very happy to uh, to have you because you have a pretty uh, diverse background in terms of the, the work that you do. But uh, Dan, for the audience, can you maybe uh, start by uh, sharing your uh, professional uh, story? Sure, sure. Yeah. So the, the business I run now is called Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research. So we're a market research company. You could think about us like a very boutique forester or gardener. So I have a team with me here. I've been running this for something like four years, although I've been doing research and speaking on artificial intelligence for closer to, to eight years. And yeah, we serve two basic groups. We serve enterprise and intergovernmental leaders who are looking to build AI strategies and find high return on investment use cases. So we explore the The, the use case landscape, the vendor landscape, and kind of the precedence of return on investment for AI and help companies with our advisory and research services. And then on the side of the vendors and the consultants in AI, we provide them with tools and frameworks for how to guide their clients to get to ROI. So a lot of our work is speaking to, let's say, a head of AI at Raytheon or a head of AI at a, a cool unicorn company like a Slack or a Square and learning about what are the ways that they put this technology to use to really see a positive business impact. And so we we congeal that into tools, best practices, frameworks, libraries for consultants and advisors in the AI space as well. So the buyers and the sellers, we, we serve both and yeah. that's my day-to-day -day life. Which is great and which is, I'm sure, exciting. <laughs> It's fun. Yeah, it is It is cool to be working on the stuff that I like to be working on. You, you, you started, as, uh, as you said, you started to do keynotes eight years ago at that time, yeah. but you started the company four years ago. So in between, what were you? I mean, you yeah, were what was I up to? Sure. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, I had a previous website called Tech Emergence, which we eventually branded into Emerge. And so Tech Emergence was before I had a business model where I would write about what I was learning about AI. Uh, I would, mm. you know, go out and do my interviews, look at the use case landscape, look at the different impacts of artificial intelligence, speak to some great AI leaders, and just kind of cover that stuff. It wasn't quite a business. Concurrently, what I was doing at the same time was growing and selling an e-commerce company. So I had a company called Science of Skill in the Inc. 5000. This was a company I grew to a couple million bucks over the course of about four and a half years, and then sold that business in order to fund Uh, emerge and spend the rest of my life, hopefully, uh, focused on the big picture trajectory of what I consider to be the most important technology of this century. So I made the decision some eight years ago that AI would be the name of the game, uh, where I would remain focused and what I would remain focused on. But uh, the, the business model wasn't there. So instead, it was like, okay, well, let's grow this other business I have. Let's 
let's get some resources here, some financial resources, and then let's really knuckle down and and you know spend the rest of my time in AI. So so yeah, to answer your question, I was growing another business at the same yeah. time, but still doing as much research as I could. Yeah, maybe inadvertently you have maybe said the most uh, important uh, lesson of the episode. Maybe <laughs> what I mean by that is that you had that vision of the, about the fact that AI is indeed the most important technology of the of the or discovery of the century. But in order to to realize that vision, you knew that you needed money, and you took the time to build another business, and uh, that you use that as a fuel for your uh, current projects. And that requires patience. It requires uh, to think about several steps ahead. Not many people are doing that, so that's a great lesson that you have just uh, provided, actually, in my opinion. Cool. Well, yeah, I, I appreciate it. I mean, it certainly, you know, it, it, it had its pros and cons. You know, it's it's it was nice to be able to explore the world of AI without necessarily having to you know, make a buck on the first day because we were making m many bucks uh, in an e-commerce company. But at the same time, it was frustrating to be spending 60 hours a week on on kind of like the sacrificial lamb and then, you know, 20 hours a week on sort of the, the great life passion of the, the trajectory <laughs> of AI. But but on the aggregate, it worked out. It served its purpose. It, it, it was sold. It's now a much larger business under a company called 365 Holdings in the Midwest, who's grown it substantially. So the baby is, you know, now turning into an adult and I'm over here working on what I want to work on. And so I can't, uh, I can't complain with how it turned ah, out. That's a, yeah, that's, a, that's amazing. Maybe for the, for the audience, I know that AI, artificial intelligence is mentioned in the news uh, pretty much everywhere. How do you define it? It doesn't have to be a, a dictionary definition, but how do you? Uh, yeah, the, the easiest way to think about AI conceptually is, and I like this definition a lot, when computers can do things that we previously would have needed people to do. And so AI is always a moving, it's always a kind of a moving goalpost, if you will. So there was a time when, you know, a computer dominating a world champion in chess would have been seen as self-evidently very strong evidence of artificial intelligence to, to a place where, well, we kind of know how that type of AI works. It's kind of relied on, you know, brute force computing, and you know, that's not really AI anymore. So it's a moving goalpost and people are going to continue to move it. There will be a time when recommendation engines for content and music and movies will become so commonplace and so plug and play and so simple that people are like, well, that's not really AI. Um, <laughs> so so it's a, it's a, it's a, to answer your question, it's a moving set of goalposts where computers do things that we previously would have thought we really would have needed a person to do. I mean, that could be anything from diagnosing, you know, a cancerous tumor through an, an MRI, or, or it could be detecting a fraudulent payment on a credit card. It could be responding to some simple customer service requests on an e-commerce website with some kind of chat interface. Any of these things could be things that maybe we would think we would need a person, uh, but these are all areas where AI is starting to creep its way in and become more and more capable. And as companies kind of have their antenna up for which of these technologies should we use, which of these would give us an advantage. That's that's why the, the market research business is, is a business. Uh, okay. Keeping track on that stuff is a full-time job for sure. Okay, that's great. And uh, uh, right now at the Emerge AI, are you, so you do keynotes and, and you do research, are you alone doing it or do you have a team uh, with you? Uh, with... Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm fortunate to, to have a team. I think it'd be, it'd be tough to have as much traction as we do now with without you know some good folks with me. So we've got a squad of contractors on content media. We have multiple podcasts. We have a podcast called actually we have a podcast called the AI Consulting Podcast, which sort of covers everybody from the head of AI at Cognizant and Accenture, like some of the largest consulting firms in, in you know the history of the world, all the way down to you know one man band or or six person consultancies who are 
we're getting their business models off the ground in consulting. So we run that show. We have a show called the AI and Business Podcast with something like 3 million lifetime downloads over the last eight years. So we're running a lot of that. So that's that's a lot of contractors that help with editing and publishing and, and a lot of the, what I call kind of the systole and diastole of the, the publishing part of our business. So writing, graphics, media, et cetera. So that, that's, that's that. Um, and then we also have folks for, for operations and for growth. So we've got to focus on marketing and then we've got to, we've got to keep our systems running and continue to upgrade our systems. And so team to help with that has been, been pretty important for me. So, okay. How has uh, making presentations and keynote helped you into it building the business and building the network uh, that, that you have? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's an important thing, you know, on the aggregate, I think being able to be called upon as, as an expert in certain areas is, is important. When it first was started, Lord knows, you know, my, my first TEDx on AI was something like, I don't know if it was seven years ago or something like that. And, and you know, a couple little corporate gigs every now and again, way, way, way back then before I even had a, a business model. But, but um, the, the benefit of speaking is that if you're conveying great information and you really are informing people to a level to which they, you know, they're, they're, they can walk away and say, I would absolutely not have known that or that clicked in a really powerful way, then you can kind of earn yourself up into to higher echelon. So, We've presented now for the World Bank, the OECD. I was in the headquarters of the United Nations uh, around two years ago, speaking about deepfakes. Actually, kind of presenting on the, wow. the risks of, of deepfake technology. So, yeah, from you know some some random you know tiny corporate gig for a miniature stipend to, to the to the headquarters of the UN, it certainly helps on on the credibility side. You know, especially yeah. if we're working in defense and security, and we can say that you know we're called upon by by certain groups in New York City that run important functions in the UN. So I think on, on the credibility side, it's important. I think what's really important from the perspective of a business is to know what is that all kind of feeding and, and cycling into. In other words, being in the speaking business full time, I've never done that. So I've never basically made my bread by by speaking. I think it's great. I think if you can earn a, a good keep and a good rate, uh, you absolutely should do it. But But in all seriousness, you should be able to engage folks in ways that you know, open up new doors to adding value um, and, and can find find new ways to service them. So ultimately, for me, speaking was a conduit to more of our AI opportunity landscape research, which is the work that we do with IGOs and with bigger corporates. So yeah. kind of showing the tip of the iceberg on some use cases, some trends, some of what we've learned from our research, and then giving them the opportunity, hey, if you want to catch up about going deeper into specific departments, divisions, business functions, and where AI is going to go, if you have current initiatives that you want to kind of reality check with what's working for your peers, be sure to catch up. Okay. Um, and that would be a, a door opener there. So great for credibility, great for beginning warm relationships that start in kind of a nice educative tone to to explore future business. So for those two yeah. reasons, keynoting is worthwhile. Yes, yes, definitely. Okay, that's great. And uh, I have a question because myself, uh, my background is in a, a digital transformation, information systems, and Uh, my uneducated guess about AI is that it requires, in order to work, it requires to get data from some systems, from systems of records. So uh, you mentioned that you were working with uh, heads of AI at some companies. I did not know that it existed. <laughs> ahead yeah, of AI. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's, so it's what's, the, what's the role? Is it related to information systems? Is it related to operations? Yeah. And There's a, a lot of different angles to this conversation. I'll try to tee it up in a simple way. It's a great question. So oh, okay. it's a really, really good question. Yeah, no, perfectly fine. So AI doesn't succeed well generally in the enterprise when it's couched underneath traditional IT. There really is quite a paradigm shift in terms of the approach to getting value out of an AI system 
which is much more R&D-like than the kind of plug-and-play, kind of incremental improvement, you know, set up the APIs and it'll run sort of sort of way that things go in, in the IT world. So normally, you know, there's, there's folks who are, you know, chief data officer, you know, head of AI roles, roles along these lines. Um, these folks often are, are going to operate outside of IT, but they'll collaborate with IT. Certainly if they need access to systems, certainly whatever they're doing, if it's going to be deployed company-wide has to be secure. But IT is in all seriousness for a great many reasons and malicious reasons, often going to be kind of resisting the developments of AI within a larger organization. They don't want to lose the cool guy points of being the tech people. So there is a bit of ego there. Also, they've got a lot to do already. A lot of IT people are already run ragged. And now it's like, we got to set up all these new, you know, uh, points of access and we've got all these new security concerns. And, you know, you're asking me for to, to kind of like fix our data architecture so that when it comes out, it's harmonized and ready to be fed into machines. And I don't want to do that. It's like all these things are new requests. So, so IT is, is often going to be a barrier to AI. Those are culture problems companies are going to have to solve within, within themselves there. But, but heads of AI are often operating outside of that environment and really thinking about in the different units of the business, where could be the value for AI here? And how can we maybe initially it's kind of from a center of excellence you know, how, how can we sort of collaborate with this line of business and see if we can bring some value to life? How can we collaborate with this line of business, see if we can bring some value to life? Over yeah. the course of the next 10 years, we're going to see AI sort of disperse itself into the tech teams of, of all these various departments and divisions, customer service, anti-money life, we're, we're in a bank or something, you know, anti-money laundering, uh, compliance, uh, you, you name whatever department yeah. or division, we'll, we'll be able to have people just kind of like splintered among it. Uh, but right mm-hmm. now, AI is sort of, in many organizations that have gotten a bit more mature, they're certainly not all the way there. We're seeing AI as kind of a central node outside of IT when done well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. So it can, it could, in the future, it can become a given that you have AI in any in, in department. Uh, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And uh, you, you said as well that with Emerge AI, you do Emerge AI research. So you do, you do research and you're a bit like a, a gardener or a forester. You could think about us like that. Yeah. Uh, how, how does it look like today in 2021? I mean, uh, if I wanted to have some good white paper and some good uh, research documents, of course, I can go to Emerge AI, but uh, are there a lot of other organizations who do, do, who do that? Yeah, yeah. You know, the market research world is, is an established industry. We've mm-hmm. gone about it a little bit differently. We've gone sort of media publishing first. So instead of going paywall first and kind of everything that we produce is behind the the gate. We've got literally thousands of use cases on emerge.com. It's emerge with a J. So emerj.com. Um, thousands of use cases. If you type in oil and gas, you type in banking, or, or you just go to the menu and click the industry dropdown, you'll see oodles and oodles and oodles. And so we've got 2 million plus folks on our website in any trailing 12 month period. And, and that's, that's a very different approach than kind of beginning with the walled garden, you know, knock on the door of the enterprise and say, if you want the cool stuff, you know, fork, fork up the dollars. So we're, we're a little different than, than other market research firms in some respect, but also we're much more narrow. We're AI only. So if we're ever going to win a project, you know, and, and they're, they're talking to Forrester, any company that's a billion, $2 billion in revenue already has a relationship with some market research firm. And so we're never the only people at the table. And the only time we're ever going to win is when it's really AI specific. If a project requires a Rolodex of high level heads of AI or vendor ecosystem of AI or AI expertise in different industries, and it requires a way of understanding that space and knowing the precedence of value, knowing what competitors are up to, then we'll be able to win a project. So, so what it looks like, you're asking sort of what a project looks like, like what we would deliver, for example, or, or how could I answer your question here? I was thinking, uh, me as a 
as a reader, I, I want to read a, sure. a good paper on uh, on uh, AI research. I can uh, take I can take a paper a research from uh, from Emerge, or I can take a research from Forrester. What is the difference? And I think you you did you did answer the the question on the, the your focus your focus on AI makes a differentiator between you and uh, maybe some other uh... the other players. Yeah, yeah. The area of AI market research hasn't bloomed into as big a portion of Forrester and Gartner's business as the other portions of their business. AI is a very nominal portion of their aggregate business. Now, they're keeping a tight pulse on it because they know it matters. And we have customers from both Forrester and Gartner on, on Emerge Plus, which is kind of our more consultant access research product. So they're, they're sharp folks, they're focused on this, but in order for a market research firm like a Gartner or, or a Forrester who in, in many regards kind of models Gartner to, to, to really make revenue in a space, there has to be a rich ecosystem of vendors, people selling it, and a rich ecosystem of people buying it. And AI, so many of the use cases are nascent. So many of the vendors are still basically on the teat of venture capital. They're not really making revenue revenue yet, right? Certainly not enough to totally sustain themselves. So because that market isn't so mature, and because these startups are kind of popping up, popping down, some of them are working out, some of them aren't, we don't have a sturdy ecosystem that we can do an annual big fat ranking on and then say, yes, here's the report to sell. And the number of people buying it are just not that many. Comparatively speaking to something like, let's say CRM, let's say point of sale software, let's say video conferencing, Lord knows there's a bajillion examples of of technology that's much more mature and, and sturdy. And so because AI is so bubbling and nascent, it requires kind of a different approach to research. And, and I think um, Forrester and Gardner have a great approach and they they do their own thing. Our focus tends to be on the what we think of as the expanding capability space of AI. So what we track is what's possible. That is all, can, all, all use cases that seem viable that are coming out of startups, potentially even a little bit that's coming out of academia, things that enterprises are trying, just the possible, the art of the possible question, the, the literal definition of the bounding box of the possible for AI, which is always creeping, always something new that AI can do, always some new use case bubbling up. So tracking that is one thing, but then also tracking what's working. So what's possible, what's working. What's working is, well, which of these are actually deployed? Which of these are actually delivering an ROI? Which of these companies are actually living on revenue now, not living on venture capital, because their services, as it turns out, are worth paying for um, and what are the success factors there? So tra- so it's such a nascent space, tracking the creepy crawly of possible and working is really the name of the game for us. So when people come to us and they say, well, we'd like to deliver value and, and upgrade our, say it's, we're working with an Australian insurance company, we want to upgrade our overall customer experience, voice and chat. Which of the use cases of what the big American companies are doing are, are actually yielding a return and which are just a press release that maybe we think is something interesting, but really isn't isn't actually a viable use case. Yeah. Um, and so our job is to track that. So a little bit different than vendor ranking, kind of more traditional market research. It's more of the the tracking of where the value is starting to bubble forth. Where are we seeing yeah. the money come back after an investment? Um, and that's that's hard work to shake out, but that's our focus. Yes, that's a lot of hard work. And uh, yes, you also because um, I also had maybe a question about uh, how to. Uh, address the, the the issue of showing uh, the return on investment on AI. And I think you you, you actually did, uh, did, did answer that. I think it's very important uh, yeah, it's, it's not easy. Really, really challenging. We have a very simple piece, which is publicly available. People could, could look up three kinds of AI ROI. If you just type that into Google, you could type in EMERJ afterwards, but you could just type in three kinds of AI ROI. That article is sort of the, the simple framework for the way that we like to communicate AI ROI across kind of a, a bit of a trinity model that we've we've developed, which is 
it is more challenging to track and it is more challenging to achieve than a lot of IT projects. But with a proper understanding, um, it's, it's a, a serious strategic advantage. So mm-hmm. I would admonish people to, to check that out if you're interested in the ROI of AI. Yeah, definitely. So there are other, maybe a few, a few other things for, uh, for someone in the audience that is not completely familiar with artificial intelligence. There are also other words that I have uh, heard being related to artificial intelligence is uh, machine learning and uh, sure. one that you have mentioned also deep learning is there. Well, what, what is it basically? <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. I'll, I'll, I'll answer both questions pretty succinctly. So again, broadly speaking, in the business context, we tend to communicate, again, we communicate with the consultants and service providers, and then with the business leaders, tends to be either C-suite or maybe strategy or innovation type folks. These people don't write code. And so we, we sometimes will use AI and ML somewhat interchangeably. In, in, in all seriousness, it, it does no harm. At a, at a technical level, artificial intelligence is sort of, so computer science is like the big bubble of, of you know, the, the giant umbrella under which all of this sits. Artificial intelligence is a portion of that, which again, roughly would be computers doing things that by golly, we would have thought we need a person for. Machine learning, most folks would say, would be couched under artificial intelligence as a different approach to to AI. So AI back in the 1980s, for example, was much more of let's take human experts and let's put in their best inputs about how certain decisions should be made and and, uh, certain things should be done. There's a whole field called kind of expert systems. And let's kind of pre-program as much as possible something so that when it hits a scenario, it'll sort of come out with the right output. And that's that's very brittle. It doesn't doesn't work all that often. If the world is changing very frequently, those big ossified systems are not going to be super powerful. But there were some areas where they were powerful and some areas where they were impressive, including things like, you know, uh, board games and whatnot. Machine learning is more of where we take a series of instances in the world. Maybe it's pictures, some of which are scans of, of uh, you know, uh, part of the body that, that has a cancerous tumor, other scans of part of the body that doesn't have cancerous tumors. Maybe it's a series of transactions, some of which are marked as fraudulent, some of which are marked as not fraudulent. And where we, we train the system on what's fraudulent, what's not, to the point where it sort of learns and kind of builds its own model, not programmed by people, but builds its own model as to what factors correlate to fraud, not fraud, cancerous, not cancerous. And then we feed in something new on the front end, and it, it'll give us a, a confidence score pumped out the back end. So machine learning is systems that do their own learning based on data that we feed to it, as opposed to pre-program into it. And this does not solve all problems, but has found itself to be rather useful. If you've ever searched on Google, you're using machine learning to match you to whatever the heck they think you're searching for. If you've you know been on on uh, Netflix, you know, and you've gotten your recommendations for whatever your next movie is. Uh, they've got a very robust model based on all these other people and what they've watched. And some of those people are pretty similar to you. And so they match those patterns of those similar people on top of you. No single human being at Netflix can come out and say, hey, Dan Fagella, here's the system and the weights and the features of exactly what movie we recommend to you. They're like, I couldn't tell you. The system's learning all the time. It's going to throw stuff in front of you that I think it's relevant, but it's but it's much more scalable and as it turns out, much more effective in certain use cases than any kind of pre-programming ever could be. And so that's a simple way to think about machine learning. Deep learning is more or less machine learning, but with more layers. So it, non-technical language, machine learning uses layers of what we could think of as computational neurons that kind of learn and respond to the input data so that they can score and uh, assess any new data that we feed into it. Deep learning is simply 
many, many, many more layers. You could think about it like deep learning is machine learning, but requires a lot more data, a lot more energy, a lot more computational resources to get it done, and is often used for things like video and images, which are very computationally heavy. Uh, mm-hmm. It could become a very technical conversation, but that's the that's the that's a business understanding there. Yeah. Yes, yes, that's uh, very good, and that's for, for people that want to have a basic understanding. That's uh, uh, that that's great, and people like me actually <laughs> need to cool, understand. Cool. Yeah. I need to, to understand that. Uh, that, that. That's great. I think uh, yes, we have talked about the, yeah a little bit about what is artificial intelligence. We have talked a bit on the business context. You also mentioned so at the start of the interview that you work with intergovernmental organizations, so for example, such as the United Nations. So why are countries or group of countries thinking about it? Yeah, complicated answer. Let, let me, <laughs> Sorry, uh, no, 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 it's, Sorry for that. <laughs> no, no, it's great. It's great. On the one hand, if we think about the UN, the UN has to be funded. And often that funding is going to come from countries, sure, but increasingly organizations, corporates, big corporates. And for a corporate to kind of fund some kind of a UN initiative, as opposed to put those funds to whatever else, it has to have some pizzazz or appeal. And sometimes AI provides such a, a pizzazz and an appeal. So that's not to say it's an inherently bad motive, but but some of it is is, you know, funding is a thing. AI is kind of hot to trot. And so, you know, it might be a conduit to that, particularly for for enterprises that we, we might be looking for resources from. But beyond that, I think the meta topic here is that there is a pretty robust understanding in in much of the public sector, not not its entirety. Um, there is not much of an understanding of exactly what AI is, what the use cases are, all of that, but there is an understanding that's awfully important. And I think it's very hard for us to look into the world and to deny that the most powerful companies in the world are indeed predicated on artificial intelligence, predicated. There is no Amazon, right? There is no Google. There is no Facebook. There is no Netflix. They don't exist without AI. And so these are the companies that are eating the world and they are indeed predicated. Alibaba, Baidu, if we go to the East. And so, geez, uh, sure does seem like it's going to be an awful powerful shebang over here. Uh, we, we better stay attuned. And so there's a lot of questions around, well, which parts of this is re- relevant for us? You know, how should we think about how to leverage these technologies for good? We did a series of talks for the World Bank about mobile diagnostics. So when it comes to diagnosing diseases with technology, as opposed to necessarily needing PhDs, sprinkled all over the rural portions of India, what could be the ways that maybe a mobile phone with the right kind of scanning technology could tell us if somebody had a skin disease or a disease of the eye or something that we could then send them to the hospital instead of needing an army of folks to go into every tribe and, and, and every village. So, so the, there's questions around how will this undeniably powerful technology sort of affect us? How should we be thinking about using it? And also how should we be thinking about potentially regulating it? For countries that are farther ahead in AI, there's only maybe, you know, in the real global picture, there's maybe two such countries. The regulation isn't as much of a concern because why would you, if you, if you are to win through innovation, you know, it's, it's, it wouldn't be your preeminent concern. The countries that maybe are less likely to win on innovation, I think are pretty interested in regulation because, you know, certainly that there's some morally good motives to want to regulate things, but also yeah, you just hate to lose that bad, you know, and if you can't, if you can't innovate then regulating is, is, is a, uh, you know, feels like a nice way to not yeah. g- get farther yeah. behind. So, so there's kind of uh, self-interest there. There's kind of general human interest. Is this in the, the benefit of humanity? You know, can we wield this for our own public sector aims, whether it's improving our healthcare systems, our economies, et cetera. 
And right now it's very much at a learning level. The public sector is an exceedingly nascent stage of AI understanding, never mind AI deployment. You know, e- even defense outside of a couple countries is not not really at the screaming edge uh, of AI. And at the United States, we, we we couldn't even pretend that we are. Much of the DoD is is very much stodgy. So early stages, they want to know how it's going to impact stuff, and uh, they've they've got sufficient curiosity, and in some cases, budget, so that we can work with them. Yeah, um, so that's uh, that's very interesting. And you, you said that there are two two countries that are well advanced in AI. So I, I, I live in Montreal and I am told that Montreal is like a global hub of artificial intelligence. Oh, it sure is. Yeah, sure. Yeah, is. it is. Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but the, US, the US and, and China are the name of the game. I mean, you know, <laughs> if you guys end up ruling the technology world, I'll, I don't know, I'll come, I'll come hang out. Yeah, I'll, I'll move, right? I'll move. Um, but, but just in terms of like the, 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 inter, the great power game, right? The, the great power game is, is essentially... You know, hopefully you guys are on our side. That's all I got to say. Uh, <laughs> you got a lot of smart people up there, but but yeah, no. And in, in terms of the the grand the, the grand trajectory of AI, you know, the the, the AI superpowers and on, on the, the absolute eternal global mega sense, um, the U.S. and China is pretty much where it's at. Mm-hmm. Um, perfect, perfect. Is it is it a world where? You know, when we talk about, uh, as you said, you know, CRM, there are a lot of CRMs, tens of CRMs that exist around the world. E- uh, ERP systems, there are, uh, uh, there is SAP, NetSuite, etc. For AI, if I if I am the head of AI or the head of procurement of a company, and I say, okay, I, I need to buy a kind of AI software. I, I don't even know if that's the right question to ask uh, oneself, but do I have a lot of choices or actually I find myself with, Okay, it's a nascent industry, so I'm actually have to speak with some experts. And uh... yeah, it depends on it depends on the application. So there mm. will be many, many more. You know, a it's like ERP, CRM. These are sort of more specific, limited capabilities. AI is making mm. its way into everything. There, there are AI enabled, you know, CRM platforms. There are ai enabled you know payment processing platforms there are so so ai is creepy crawling its way into yeah. a number of industries so and it, it generally for for companies looking to adopt ai generally speaking the advice that that we advise is to really think about what are our what are our true kind of core competencies what are going to be the things that separate us from our competitors in terms of winning in the market 5 years 10 years from now um, and those are the places where we can genuinely invest in R&D. Those are the places where uh, we can actually put some muscle. Uh, and in that case, we may, we, we may have some places where we want to actually do some in-house development of artificial intelligence. But in some cases, AI will be kind of plug and play. Um, you know, if we think about payment fraud for credit card firms, for example, or, or any e-commerce company, there are, you know, a variety of relatively plug and play. You, you could stop using one and you could use the other. Uh, kind of systems that'll help us reduce uh, chargebacks and, and fraudulent payments. So in that case, there might be rife opportunity for relatively well-proven, a little bit less nascent uh, companies that we could line up against each other. In other areas, there might be a very bespoke, very funky use case in manufacturing where we're trying to prevent the breakdown of some really weird equipment that really nobody's ever tried to prevent the breakdown with of AI. And there's a few firms that say, we think we could do it, but we know we're going to be the guinea pig and we've got to decide if we want to actually go that direction or not. So we advise folks to, to generally speaking, think about adopting the technologies that are exceedingly proven and are kind of an incremental improvement to, to sort of what they're, what they're doing already. If it is a natural next step and there's not too much adoption cost and it's, it's, it's going to improve whatever your thing is, uh, 
supply chain tracking, uh, fraudulent payments, whatever. Well, let's go ahead and leverage it, but don't really focus on the hardcore internal building and investment of R&D until or unless we have a really clear understanding of how AI aligns with our longer term strategic objectives, because it's really only those things where building that core competency will be worthwhile, where it will ultimately yield our advantage. You know, there's a, you know, a firm like uh, Southwest Airlines is not going to win over its competitors based on how nice its salads are, right? That's not really their advantage. They have a different yeah. thing. They do a different thing than salads. Like they, they do price. And so if there's AI investments that they're making, if they're doing it well, uh, I would suspect that those are, are going to help them win along economic lines yeah. um, and in lines of efficiency. Um, okay, that's a, of- that's, a great, uh, that's a great answer. You know, so AI first, be, uh, we should use it to amplify our core competencies, our core differentiators. So uh, that's, that's great. Yep. That's Especially great for robust investment. Yes, that's generally mm-hmm. what we advise. Okay, so maybe one, one of the last questions. Uh, Emerge AI. So you said that there are people with different roles. How, how, how big is that? Uh, is that team? Yeah, right now we are a team of around six folks with mm-hmm. some ancillary, lighter kind of contractor folks that get pulled in when we need them. Video mm-hmm. editing people, to some degree, even audio work. Sometimes heavier, sometimes lighter. Not as much core, real full time team, but otherwise, you know, we're we're around a half a dozen people at this point. All right, great, great. So um, yes, we are on the. Um, podcast called uh, Consulting Lifestyle, and uh, you made that decision years ago to, uh, to jump into uh, the, the, the AI world. So for you, uh, what does uh, having a consulting lifestyle mean? Yeah, you know, I guess it's not, it's not as much, you know, purely consulting for me necessarily. I think consulting is great, but mm-hmm. for me, sort of a entrepreneurship as a journey, um, mm-hmm. ideally, easier said than done, but ideally would permit me to focus the broad bulk of my time on the things that I consider to be of the highest import, if I can find a business model that'll sustain it. Um, And so I think, you know, if we think about the the lifestyle, it doesn't necessarily mean time on the beach or or things like that. I I think, I think I'll probably have very little of that before my death, but it does, it does allow one, if done well, to, to spend their time on on what matters most to them, you know, where they want to make a kind of a dent in the universe and, 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 uh, have an impact. And so, yeah, the decision for, for entrepreneurship is really about, yeah, spending time on, on what genuinely matters and, and hopefully the, you know, the journey in that direction will lead somewhere exciting no matter what. So that's, that's what I got my fingers crossed for. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. And, uh, yeah, you're, you're definitely putting uh, your dent in the world, uh, with uh, all the keynotes that uh, you are doing and what the work you, you do with Emerge. So where can uh, people go if they want to, uh, to find you, to get in touch with you and Emerge? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, you know, em- the website is just emerge.com, E-M-E-R-J.com. Um, but we do, as I mentioned, do a lot of work in the consulting ecosystem. So there's a lot of technology and management consultants who now are moving into AI. So we've got uh, of our email list, probably, nine or so thousand of the people on our email list are tech consultants, management consultants, or aspiring consultants who are learning more about AI so that they can help these companies that are spending money on this stuff, often kind of negligently, not really understanding it. They, they can help the firms that, that have the budgets and want to move forward with it. And to that regard, we, we have a, a webinar around starting and growing an AI consulting firm, drawing on the lessons that we've had. I'm not a technical guy. I don't write code, yet we still have done you know, some great enterprise work and some work with some some great startup companies in this space. So that's just emerj.com slash S 
ST1. That's ST like start and then the number one. So emerj.com slash ST1 is our webinar kind of starting and growing an AI consultancy. If people are, you know, the folks tuned in here, I presume are consultants, if they're interested in, well, what would it look like to add AI as a revenue stream in terms of services that we could offer? We kind of go into the business models in that space and also go into what it looks like to service um, enterprises. Even if you don't write code, even if you're not technical, how can you, you still help your clients and also win business? Um, in the in the world of AI. So emerge.com slash st1 would probably be the best place to find us. Yeah. Oh, that's perfect. I'm gonna I'm gonna put that link in the in the show notes and uh, you're right uh, for uh, for the audience. Go go onto that link and uh, visit that webinar because uh, yes as a consultant we need to keep our eyes open and how we can help better our customers. So uh, uh, Dan is giving us that opportunity. So uh, that that's great. So uh, Thank you. Uh, thank you, Dan. I think it was a great, uh, a great interview. Uh, the audience will get uh, a lot of value uh, out of it. So if you have a last word, you can, uh, you can say it. Otherwise, uh... Yeah, no, that, that's, that's about it, brother. I, I appreciate you having me here. You had some good <laughs> questions about the general tech. I think, I think hopefully we've taken some people to the next level of understanding and I, I appreciate you having me on the show. Uh, thanks. You're, you're, you're welcome. So uh, we, we talk again soon. <laughs>